Happy New Year, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massengale, and I'm in the studio in Austin, Texas. And I am joined by my friend Jonathan Green, who is uh, he's on his way to New Zealand for the New Zealand, the, the racing, uh, the Toyota Racing Series, actually. And I'm going to let you say the name of the Toyota Racing Series now, Jonathan, because it's a new new name and everything. But how are you, buddy? Good, man. Um, I'm, I've got New Plymouth's Volcano behind me. How about that? It's pretty, it's pretty cool, huh? Uh, I um, like your background. And that is a, a real volcano. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, it's not real. I, have, I climbed it up this morning, but, <laughs> um, but yeah. Heading down, New Zealand, getting ready for the championship, which is known as CT Frock, which is rig- ridiculous <laughs> um, because it stands for the Castrol Toyota uh, Formula Regional Oceana Championship. You better get that um, smooth before, I'm just gonna talk. before you start talking on the microphone down there. Yeah, but CT Frock sounds like you spilt something on a girl's dress. I, I, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm going with the Castrol Toyota Racing Series. Castrol are the, the, the main sponsor of the series, as they has been for many, many years. This is the 19th year of the series. We'll also be celebrating our 300th uh, race um during the five weeks uh, of racing and we've got a bumper field dominated by americans that is fantastic how many now was it like seven americans yeah well uh seven americans and canadians and why i've included the canadians is both canadians raced in f4 and fr in the usa and both are really good matt clark and our current f4 champion uh woods toth is his name uh got a great story and he's had a great season and so those are the two canadians and then we've got a host of five americans of various different levels of experience, but some that may shine and some that have come to learn. And I can tell you why, if you're interested, as to why we suddenly have the most Americans we've ever had in the series. Well, we'll get to the Toyota series here in a minute, but I just want to talk about, first of all, I just want to say uh, Happy New Year to everybody because this is our first show of the new year. In fact, it's been several weeks since we've been live because we recorded our last show of the year and then we replayed on, it so man. we have we have we have been slacking off but actually i i have not disconnected like this in a long time jonathan and i know you are are better at that than me but man i have really disconnected and i am really excited about 2024 and all the things we're going to be doing this year but i want to thank everybody for tuning in we got some folks as usual jumping on youtube and there's probably some folks on facebook i'm not even over there right now but uh but yeah, Jonathan is going to be down at the New Zealand Series Toyota Castrol Toyota Racing Series. But tonight we are going to talk. We're going to talk a lot of Formula One. We're going to talk a little bit about the horrible news about Gilles de Ferran, and we're going to talk Andretti F1. There's lots. Uh, I say lots. There's several little things to talk about there, and we're going to talk about the launch dates of the Formula One cars, and uh, and lots more. In fact. Jonathan, I want to start with uh, with Gilles DeFerrin because I know you. Um, I don't know. Have you? Did you meet him ever? Yes, many times. I met him both uh, when he was driving, um, but also more recently as the head of McLaren Formula One uh, with Zach Brown. If you remember, he was made managing director or not. He was made team principal of McLaren uh, with Zach as CEO. 
um, and he'd been working with McLaren in the USA and kind of did both jobs, if you will, came and worked with Zach because the were in, you know, 60s and 70s with the Honda, with Alonso, and it was at the bottom of, you know, McLaren's terrible era of a few years ago. Uh, and so um, he was brought in by Zach, and I sat down with both he and Zach at, at Silverstone and talked about the future, and they were positive then, and I can now see that a lot of the work that Gilles did back then has come to fruition. Um, but the last time I saw him, sadly, was at the Indy 500. I got an exclusive interview with him for Sky Sports in the UK uh, when Alonso was doing the Indy 500. And uh, sadly, yeah, that's the last time I saw him, but gone way too early. Yeah, way too early. And he passed away from a heart attack. And um, he was, I think he was at a at a race, a race circuit doing some, and I think may have been with his son is what I've heard too. So that's a horrible... Horrible. And he's only, what, 56 years old? Yeah, not good. Yeah, yeah. And a great driver and a, a really gentle – he's one of those gentle giants of motorsport. You know, he always had a nice word. You you won't uh, – if you read up on Shield of Ferran and the, and the tributes that have made to him, you won't hear a bad word about him. I mean, he was just one of those guys. And there's very few in motorsport. Most guys are, are pretty – you know, they're like they're like entrepreneurs in many ways, which is they're very focused on what they're doing. And it's a very cutthroat business in that, that they haven't got time to be friendly because it is that kind of business. But Gilles was that kind of guy. You know, if you were to choose a table of motorsport people you want to have for dinner over red wine, Gilles would be one of them. Well, I was listening to Marshall Pruitt did some interviews. I think he did some separate podcasts from several of the IndyCar drivers and Scott Dixon. I believe it was Scott. It was one of the drivers, but it may have been Scott, but he, he brought up something really interesting. He said that he was very cerebral and he was really calm. And, and it was, he said it was amazing that he was so calm at all these, you know, at these events, right? That, that how could you be calm? You're about to get in a race car and go 200 and whatever miles an hour. And that, and that he didn't really seem like he could be that competitive or aggressive. And then when he got behind the wheel and got wheel to wheel with him, he was like, Oh my! This is this is a a very um, lethal comp uh, combination of intelligence and calmness and competitiveness. So he was, you know, really, really well thought of by the other IndyCar drivers for sure. Yeah, he reminds me in many ways of Scott Dixon and his calmness and Fernando Alonso. You know, you speak to Fernando uh, outside of a car. And he's so interesting. And, and Ed Senna was the same. He's so interesting, so calm, so thought out in his reply. Um, like like Ed, um, he could he could sit on a question that you would ask him for maybe two to three seconds, almost uncomfortably, and then would come up with the answer that you were looking for, or at least uh, an answer that would perhaps surprise you. But he had time to think about it. Uh, and he was that kind of guy. And yeah, the kind of guy that you would want for the Indy 500 because of the maelstrom that is, um, <laughs> you know, and he was able to just deal with that calmly. But boy, was he aggressive when he needed to be. Mm. You know, you said you were doing an interview for Sky. Um, I know his popularity was went, you know, all over the world, didn't it? Yes, um, he was. He was well in the UK and I think he spent quite a lot of time in Europe as well and like I said the final time was with McLaren F1 with Zach Brown 
Um, and he was well known by the drivers. Um, you know, he was a friend to a lot of drivers and, and an advisor and a go-to guy. So he he's one of those guys that everybody in the, in, the, in the racing community will miss, not just his friends and not just the guys that, you know, that raced against him. He's one of those guys that, that pervade the whole industry. Um, and I think that's why it, it, it's so sad that he left us at 56. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, and was a real shock, to be honest. I mean, anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, your audio was dropping out just a little, Jonathan. But I was just going to say, today I I watched the 2003 Indy 500. Not all of it, of course. And I, I watched a VHS version on YouTube. That's the one that he won. And I kind of got sucked into it. I probably watched uh, probably 45 minutes of it. And, um, and he was... Uh, you know, after the race, he was exactly as you're describing, you know, very, he was excited to have won, just won it. And he seemed like it was a huge relief, but you could tell the respect because the other drivers, you know, were just, you know, everybody seemed just as happy as he was for him. So it was really pretty amazing. Yeah, no question. Sadly missed, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, I do want to move on and, um, a couple of comments on YouTube. We'll, we'll talk about those during the break, but, um, but Jonathan, I want to, I want to talk about, uh, a couple of the F1 launches that are coming up because we've got, we're starting to see the release dates, right? Let me look at the schedule here. There's four of them that have been released and we've got one interesting one for the Williams team, but the, uh, the ones that have been announced so far are Williams, February 5th, and the new Stake F1 team, which I want to talk about that new name, too. Uh, also February 5th. And Aston Martin, February 12th. And Ferrari, the 13th. But what do you think about the Williams announcement that it's going to be in New York? Now, I don't know if we'll see the car then. But they're, you know, they're officially saying their announcement is going to be in New York. And they did something like that last year, didn't they? Yes, they did an event in New York, but they didn't actually launch the, the car. And in fact, modern launches these days are not what they used to be, where you struggle to get the car ready and then you launch it. Now you have a visceral idea of what the car is um, while the actual car is being prepared uh, back in the back of base. So... Um, it's both interesting in that, that you won't see the new car. And, that, and, and by the way, there's another reason for that. And that's that you don't want everybody to see all your plan to, to make a change and go, oh, we didn't think of that. And so there's a little bit of espionage at the launches. Um, but also, uh, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and anybody on the internet can tell me, but I think this is the first ever actual Formula One launch in America. Ah, yeah. I have not Googled that. But I'm sure somebody will let us know if that's the case. Yeah, official it's launch. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I want to see what this looks like. And re, and if you go to the Williams website right now, they just talk about, you know, stay tuned. We're going to give you more details, and you can sign up for all that. But um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to see exactly what they do. But all right, Johnny Green, let's get our quick uh, first break in. And when we come back, though, I want to talk. I want to talk a little bit in depth about. Uh, the Sauber F1 team and the name and the sponsorship and all that. You're listening to your Sunday night with Speed City back after a quick break. All right. We're still live on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, let me look at the boys that are out there, boys and girls. I, Thank I've you, Paul. I've opened up my video again. 
Do you see me? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's check your video. Yeah. Uh, looks okay. Looks okay. You just dropped out. All right, for well, a I minute. just moved it. If it goes, if, it, if I if I drop out again, I'll I'll turn it off. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, let's see. The boys are out there. David Lawrence. Good evening, gang. Happy New Year, everyone. Same to you, David. Kevin Kelly. Welcome back, guys. Paul Bryan. Just guys. There's a leggy blonde watching who's taking umbrage to that. Uh, Paul Bryan. I've been thinking about you lately because. I've been watching the uh, the electric car uh, industry collapse a bit with the uh, with the higher interest rates and the, uh, the the softening economy. Been thinking about you. I know you you were saying that this was all moving faster than than uh, than you thought it would. But uh, Kevin Kelly says, "Yeehaw, Paul!" Talking to him. Mike Mike Bowles is there as usual. Yeah, Joe. I, I think that was Dixon. All right, we're coming back, guys. Told you, quick break. Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, when uh, we went to break, I said we're going to talk about the Stake F1, the Sauber team. Uh, I do want to do that, but I'm going to I want to remind everybody we are going to talk about Andretti. There's some really interesting things that we're going to that have popped up a little bit. We'll talk about them, the Andretti F1 effort. So stay tuned for that. But the Stake team, the Sauber team, will now be known as the Stake F1 Kick. Sauber team. That's going to be the official name. I'm sure us and everybody else are going to be calling him steak or Sauber or one of the two, but, but Jonathan, I, I, uh, I want to ask you, do you think that this is a, a gamble what they're doing? And let me clarify that. And then, yes, that is a pun because I've been studying a little bit about the steak, you know, the company, the steak company and kick and what they are. They're really the same company because steak is a crypto online gaming website. And Kick is a platform like Twitch or, or even like YouTube, but it is, it's there because a lot of the platforms like Twitch don't allow um, certain types of streamers like crypto or, or gambling is probably what this, the case is. And so they started their own, Stake did. And Stake, you know, this online gambling website, uh, you know, we, we've talked, Jonathan, about all the sponsors that have come into Formula One and a lot of them being tech companies. And I kind of throw stake in there because if they're doing crypto and they're doing online gambling, I guess they're sort of a tech company. But I, it kind of feels like one of those sponsors that, uh, and I know they were sponsoring the team last year, but now that Alfa Romeo dropped out, they're the, the, the title sponsor. But it kind of feels like one of the, I don't know, tobacco almost, you know, Sponsors that you wouldn't really want in a perfect world, let's say. And, you know, online gaming and online gambling, I should say, is, is uh, you know, they, they may even run into trouble because there's some countries that don't even allow you to advertise that. So I don't know. What do you think about this this sponsorship? And I'm not, I don't know how much you even know about it. Well, um, you're right. I mean, there's a risk involved, but it is really a two-year risk because they're going to be a different team in two years. So... Um, I, and it, they might be in some ways taking, you know, taking a bit of a, a gamble, as you say, um, on, on the fact that they can use this loophole. And I don't think it's a loophole, but use the Formula One vessel, this very exciting car 
um, to promote something that is kind of hard to promote. Like you said, you just mentioned that, that some countries may not even accept the advertising and they, they can work around that. Uh, tobacco companies did it for years. Marlboro had to take the, the sponsorship off and, you know, Minnow, et cetera. Um, you know, Philip Morris is still, whether you like it or not, involved in Formula One because they, they kind of foot the bill. Um, for the Ferrari team. And, you know, a lot of people don't know that, that are new to Formula One because they don't think about it that way. Uh, but the truth is that's how they're involved and they've they've come up with a, a different name. You know, BAR and BAT tobacco, to, to, um, British American tobacco were involved in Formula One for a long time. And, and they too um, had to go under the logo, certainly in rally, of 555. Um, you know, so th there's been ways around things that aren't the obvious sponsors. But I also think that this is also the future that you'll see teams uh, become. I mean, I hate to say it, but we've already been there. Red Bull is a drink. It's nothing to do like Alfa Romeo with a car. And, and yet we're fully accepting of the Red Bull Oracle Formula One team. And yet all of us know it. It's, it's a drink that not, you know, that is hugely popular, but it's not necessarily something that you, you rush to in the supermarket because at the end of the day, it's not the most healthy of drinks. So, sorry, Max. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is I think we'll see more of that. And it wouldn't surprise me um, that in the future that we could get the Dell or the Cisco Formula One team um, or the, you know, <laughs> you know, you could drop Red Bull and it could be the Oracle Formula One team. In other words, big tech, I think, will have a big role to play in the future because they are the money uh, in, in, or the new tobacco, as we've often said. So I think this is kind of the start of a different way of looking at Formula One sponsorship. Well, I, I was thinking of it when I thought about this, it kind of reminded me of the disastrous sponsors that the Haas F1 team had, you know, yeah. so because, you know, you just don't know. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, first of all, crypto has had some incredible swings in that industry, right? Where the, the value of the, the, the coins or the, um, you know, the cryptocurrencies go wildly vary, right? They go up and down and, you know, the, the industry contracts and expands and it's just, just volatile is the word I'm, I'm looking for. And I worried about that. And, and I was like, I was looking into the owners of, of stake and kick. And I was like, I don't know who these guys are. And they're, one of them is 28 years old. And I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know, you know, could this, could this all fall apart? But I just thought it was interesting. And you're right. It's a two year stopgap until Audi comes in and changes the name. And, and look, we have to remember that somebody, I was talking to a new uh, a drive to survive fan, right. Talking about, the, the Sauber team. And they were like, well, have they been around? I said, yeah, they've been around, but they're not a huge team. They're not a Mercedes. They're not a Ferrari. I said, they're, uh, I said, really the closest to comparison is probably the Haas team to, to compare them. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Uh, and in fact, um, Peter Sauber, who was the founder of Sauber racing is perhaps better known for his time uh, with Mercedes in sports cars. Um, so they kind of have always reluctantly been the Sauber Formula One team, um, you know, um, and so they kind of, I say reluctantly, but it, it never took on as a powerhouse, the name Sauber, uh, as a racing team. And like you say, when they began in racing, when high tech, and excuse me, when Syntec 
uh, and Sauber were going at the back of the field, racing against each other. They were the the Haas of the day, if you will. They were the small team from Switzerland, um, and then they got you know associated with bigger, the bigger team, and 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 so they've survived. And it's actually a great survival story because they've always been a relatively smaller team. Now Haas has survived because of its. Um, Well, I, I would say I'll finish that sentence for you until we get you back. But I would say it's with Abby really breaks them out. Yeah, uh, we we you, we lost you for a second there, Jonathan. But I was just saying, first of all, that the the Haas Automation Company is a you know multi billion dollar worldwide company. So um, I think mean, I think that's a big part of that. But um, but look, Jonathan, I I think that this is a an interesting take for two years, and let's just see what happens. But I, I just I thought it was funny because of the way that the, the industry they're in, the volatile industry. But but I want to move on and and talk about a couple other things. And I was looking at um, the other launch dates, and Aston Martin, uh, February twelfth, and Ferrari February thirteenth, and. Um, I don't see, yeah, that's the last of the, the other two, both on February 5th, February 12th and 13th for Aston Martin and Ferrari. Um, it made me think about Aston Martin, Jonathan. What do you think if about their incredible start last year? I know they, they had a waning end of the season, but what's your expectation for Aston Martin next year? I say next year, this year. Yeah, I think it's high. Um, I actually think that the combination of, of Alonso and Stroll is good. Uh, I know Stroll didn't have a great season comparatively. Uh, Alonso's back to his best uh, and moving the team forward as a great two-time world champion should. Um, they've got the new factory. And remember, they moved into it in May in the middle of the season, which is an outrage in some ways uh, and kind of almost ridiculous if you're trying to, to continue that pace. And I think that's why they suffered in the second half of the season because they were still sort of, fixing doors and, you know, I mean, you can't work into a new facility with 600 people plus and expect it all just to work like the old one did. So, you know, there's bound to be some teething problems. So I expect them now to have settled into their shoes, settled into their factory, and will build on what they achieved last year, which when you think about it, is pretty incredible for a team that used to be Jordan back in the day. Yeah, I mean, really, last year that was one of the biggest stories of the whole year for sure. So, and, and I just wondered if uh, I don't see any reason I'm with you. I don't see any reason why they can't continue to do well. I don't know. It will be interesting to see of the teams that were in that battle for, you know, best of the rest, however you want to look at it, you know, you, cause you've got Mercedes, you've got Aston Martin, you've got Ferrari and McLaren. If you had to choose of those, uh, you know, how would you either rank those, what your prediction, or or who do you think is going to do uh, do well? You don't have to rank them, but, you know, how would you look at those four, Jonathan? Well, <laughs> the way I look at it is slightly differently. I would look at the fact that Mercedes' factory team, Toto Wolff and the boys, needs to be fighting for the championship, and therefore they need the help of Aston Martin to do that. <laughs> so I think there will be good crossover. I think there will be you know, at the sharp end, trying to push that, 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 that engine to be the best it can. And, and they've been, they've had an incredible Mercedes about an incredible 10 years. So, you know, um, Aston Martin should be, you know, gaining from that. And of course they're moving over to Honda. So eventually um, in the future. So I, I, I really do think that, that 
if Mercedes factory team is going to be up there, then they also need Aston Martin to be there too. Yeah, good point. I like that. And I think that as usual, you're, um, you know, you, you do need some help like that. So I'll take, I'll take that, Jonathan. Um, what about the, um, I had some stories in here that I wanted to ask you about. I wanted to say the, um, the, uh, the Williams team, we talked about them coming to New York, but what about Logan Sargent in his sophomore year? I mean, what are your expectations for him? You know, surprisingly high, actually, because he's dodged a bullet that everybody knew was coming at him. And that is you get one chance in Formula One, you get a year, uh, and not if you need to freeze, maybe, but you get a chance. And if it doesn't work out, they're on to the next shiny thing. Uh, and that sounds a bit harsh, but it's just the, it's the reality. There are some and, you know, it's great being here in New Zealand because, you know, I know the amount of juniors and academy drivers chomping at the bit to get into Formula One. And so if you're not cutting it at the sharp end in a Formula One seat, there are a myriad of drivers already to take that seat. And so, and you know, the, the, the Williams um, team, uh, you know, uh, you know, are all, have got a great academy. Aston Martin have got a great academy. We all know about the Red Bull and the Ferrari one. So, you know, I think that in that respect, um, there's always somebody ready to take the seat. But Logan has now got over that hump, and I actually think we're going to see the best of him because he now knows he's got the support of the team. And if that's the case, then we might see the best of him. And if you look at his results in Formula 2 and how he raced in Formula 2, um, and when you talk to him, you know, we were talking about Gilles de Ferran, he definitely has all the attributes of a good Formula 1 racing driver. Cool, calm, collected, but determined. All right. Well, let's get a quick break in. When we come back, I do want to talk about what you're going to be up to next, Jonathan, the Formula Regional Oceania Championship down in New Zealand. So we'll talk about that next and Andretti later in the show. You're listening to Sunday Night with Speed City back after a quick break. All right. We're still live on YouTube. Um, David Lawrence wants to know. How are you feeling, guys, are feeling about the F2 field this season? Jonathan, what do you think about that? Did I lose you, Cooney? I think maybe Jonathan stepped away. Oh. Hey, Green. I'm back. Oh, there you are. Uh, David Lawrence, was yes. asked, he was on YouTube asking about how you feel about the F2 field this season. Okay. So hold on just a second here. Uh, so anyway, you can go ahead and answer that, Jonathan, if you want. Oh, well, on YouTube, I, you know, honestly, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time looking at the field in terms of, you know, who, what, where and when. Uh, but I think it's going to be a very competitive field because you've got people like um, Antonelli, um, Zach O'Sullivan. We've got, you know, Oliver Beerman, who we saw at, um, at Abu Dhabi. Um, there's some really good new names and a combination of like the Enzo Fittipaldi's and the, you know, the, the, the Jack, Jack Crawford, for example, Korea's going to be there. Enzo Fittipaldi, you know, and then guys that we're more familiar with like, uh, Isaac Hadjar, um, you know, there's some really good names, but the, the one that sticks out is Antonelli. Everybody's been waiting for him to break out. I mean, he's already broken out from, from, uh, karting cause he was a world 
phenom back then. So it'll be interesting to see how the new kids come in against the establishment. Yeah, and I was thinking Fittipaldi has Enzo has looked so good, hadn't he? He was coming on oh, yeah. strong towards the end of the year. And yeah. just the fact that Korea is even another name in a car. is Paul Aaron. Paul Aaron is another one like Antonelli who's been in the wings and everybody's been talking about him for a few years. Uh, and then another guy that, that hasn't had as much sort of notoriety is Richard Vashor, another Dutchman. Oh, now, yeah. And he won the Toyota series a few years ago. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Hello to everyone. This is Gunter Steiner. This is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, we're going to talk about the Formula Regional Oceana Championship because this has been known forever as the Toyota Racing Series, but it has joined the the FIA uh, Formula Regionals, which like we have here in the United States and like they have all over the world, and it's a big deal. They got um, super license points a couple of years ago in the Toyota Racing Series, but this takes it to another level, doesn't it, Jonathan? And you're going to be the voice of that all for the entire series, aren't you? Yes, I am. And uh, this will be my 12th year of doing it. And it's been for me, uh, if you want to sound, you know, if you want to puff your chest out and say you're, 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 on, you're in the know, uh, doing junior series, especially this one, uh, really gives you a head start. I mean, you know, I met Lando when he was 15. I met Lance Stroll before anybody had ever heard of his story. Uh, I remember stupidly asking Lance Stroll if he, if he, you know, if he ever driven a Ferrari. And he said, yeah, my, my dad has a collection. And, and we own a track, you know, I mean, well, but but I didn't know who he was, you know, and so but that was because that the this is the beauty of junior series, especially at the FR stroke F3 level, is that it's a breakout time. And from the six weeks ahead of us here in New Zealand, somebody from this pack, and it's really strong this year, is going to break out and you're going to be going, hey, what's the latest with Sunso? And I'm going to be saying, well, he's done this, he's done that, and he's now in F2. So, you know, you just on YouTube, you just got somebody asking me about Antonelli or asking me about the field. Well, you know, Richard Vashaw got his breakout year here in the Toyota Racing Series. And, of course, the last two that stand out, Liam Lawson and Yuki Tsunoda. So if you might have heard of those two, <laughs> they well, were both in the championship together. Well, a good point is that the first time I ever heard Lando Norris's name, I believe, was Toyota, right? Yep. When you were down there. Yes. Yeah, first time yeah, I heard his name. Yeah, and by then, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He'd already won the F4 British Championship. But if you're sitting in America, why would you be, you right. know, why would you presume that Lando was going to be the next phenom? Uh, but then suddenly put him in an international series of guys coming from all over the world in a big team. And suddenly it was a breakout year. Mm. Well, let's talk about the North American drivers. There's a bunch of Americans and a couple of Canadians I hear. So which ones of those are you got your eyes on, Jonathan? The two ones that stand out are both the Canadians, to be honest, um, and that's Patrick Woods-Toth, who's our current F4 champion with Kiwi Motorsports. So he's staying with the team that took him to the championship in the States. And Matt Clark, who also raced in that championship, but is now on the road to Indy, um, and but also had a very successful time in the FIA, FR, and F4 series in America. So those two guys are, and Scott Goodyear, as you know, commentates with me, the Canadian Indy 
IndyCar driver, former IndyCar driver, and he's had his eye on these two for a long time and has been pushing them um, to, to, to make it. And so I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for them. But then you've got a host of young Americans that have been racing either in America or around the world. And the one that stands out, to me anyway, um, is – where is his name? I'm just looking down the list of them. Um, well, well, let me let me know who they are. First of all, Landon Matriano Lim has just signed for Giles Motorsport. Uh, there is Titus Sherlock, who's been racing for Kiwi Motorsport, and he will be racing again. Um, he was on the podium on and off uh, throughout that. Then there's Jet Bowling from uh, Texas. And in fact, Sherlock's from Texas, from Prosper, Texas. So we've got two Texans right up there. Nice. Jake Vanilla, another. So we've got three Texans. Jake Vanilla yeah, from, from San Antonio, Texas. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, um, we've got some really good names, but all of them are what I call in England wet behind the ears. They're still on the way up. And I don't ex- I expect them to learn hard, which is what the team manager, Gary Orton, wants them to come here for and then go back to America and do what Ryan Sheerhan did. Ryan Sheerhan, sadly, I don't think is going to make it or at least I've, he's not been announced yet. He was trying to get the money together, but I don't think he's going to do it. He's going to concentrate on doing another season of FR or may may move on. But if you remember, Ryan came here from from Austin, Texas last year and was, well, top 10, um, got a podium, but really didn't shine, but then got runner-up to the runner-up of the Toyota Racing Series, Callum Hedge, yeah. um, who's now obviously in Indy Lights next year. Yeah, but the one I want original, to, yeah. Oh, and, exactly. And, you know, the one I want to... I was just going to say Go on. Just on on Ryan Sheehan, you know, it's that could be a strategic decision too. You know, you have to decide where you're going to yes. spend your money as you're coming up. And you know, they're not they're not a stroll, right? <laughs> we we know them pretty well, and they have to make their decisions. And it may be just as much strategic as it is financial to not do that one again. They've already done it, and so it's already on his resume. So yeah. The other one that I haven't mentioned yet uh, and is Bryce Aaron. Now, you remember Jeremy Shaw, our good friend sure, from yeah. WEC? And you know that he takes young Americans over to the Formula Ford Festival. Well, Bryce Aaron did really well uh, at the Formula Ford Festival, and he's going to be, we're going to get on to Andretti, he's going to be in Andretti's Formula uh, Next team this season. So Michael Andretti will be tuning in to see how M2 Competition's USA driver, Bryce Aaron, will get on. Mm, yeah, awesome. Well, and you know, this is a big deal because, first of all, it's a Formula Regional, so it's an FIA, uh, you know, Points, uh, super license points gathering series in the Formula Three. Eighteen level. points for the winner. Yeah, I mean, what what is it? Uh, forty four points for an F one super license, something like that. Yeah, so, forty points. 40? Uh, okay. And the point is, if you win the Toyota Racing Series uh, and come back after February, let's say February twentieth, and you've got eighteen points under your belt, and then you have a successful FR season somewhere else, or move on to the FIA F three. Uh, you're you're knocking on the door, which is what Lawson did. Uh, you're knocking on the door of F1 because you you will be up at 35, 40 points, and then you just need a test drive or whatever, and you're there. Yeah. So that's a big deal. And uh, so the the summary of that is you get basically an entire season in what five weeks. Yep, three thousand five hundred kilometers, kilometers, fifteen races, three at each venue. And it starts towards the end of January, right? 
Correct. It starts uh, the 18th, uh, 17th, 18th, and the 19th of January is the first round on the North Island of um, New Zealand at Tapo. Yep. So if you are listening and you need your open wheel fix and you can have it in January, and is it going to be on YouTube, Jonathan? Yep, it'll be live on YouTube. We're hoping to get it on uh, as a post show on Mav TV as well. Uh, and as you know, Mav TV and uh, effectively the new home for all things motorsport in America. And uh, with seven entries from the USA, that is total domination. There's, there's obviously several uh, Kiwi drivers and several Australian, and, uh, and we've actually got a South Korean and Italian and so on and so forth. But um, th there's no question that, that the field is dominated by North American drivers. Mm. Okay, well, I want to move on and talk about Andretti uh, because I've been promising that, and it is one of my favorites, if not my favorite topics to talk about. And, of course, the big news is uh, the story that really, if you want to check it out online, of course, is Chris Medlin's story on racer.com. But the bottom line is that uh, Renault has announced that they are ready to resume Andretti talks if the F1 entry is granted. And, yes, that's a great headline, but there's some – Interesting little tidbits if you drill down into this. I was going to reach out to Chris, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to bother Chris. I know that he's still <laughs> basically enjoying his time off. So, But I just thought there were some interesting points, and a couple of them that you pointed out, Jonathan, how uh, the, the, the line in this story, it says, Andretti's on the grid in 2025 means it would have to abide by the FIA financial regulations from this week onward. I thought that was a fascinating little sentence in that story. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean they have to work? I, it really is a kind of a, a cryptic yeah. comment. And, and But Medlin knows what he's doing and he wouldn't have put that in. And, and, and also uh, for that, it's also a compliance thing, which means that if you don't comply within the week uh, or, you know, from that moment on, then it could uh, hamper your hopes of getting in by 25. We know that GM aren't coming in till much later. So as a engine manufacturer, as a power unit, right? as, a, as an engine OEM, as a supplier to Andretti Global and only Andretti Global to start with. Um, so that story of Renault still in talks because the original deal that Renault had has now run out. Um, but Andretti quite rightly wants to come into the championship earlier before they, you know, before, Two things happen. One, the rules change in 26, and two, GM coming in 28. So they need an engine partner, one, and they need to be compliant in every way for not just the FIA, but FOM or Formula One to grant them a chance to be on the grid in 25. So it's still up in the air, but these, I, I see positive rather than negative in that story. Mm. Yeah, I do too. And uh, the other thing that was in that story, another good sentence that I pulled out of there, it says the anti-dilution fee could be revisited as part of a new Concord agreement discussions first. And I mean, this this is really probably the biggest sticking point in my mind with the Andretti entry right now. I think it's I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but I think that's probably the biggest sticking point, because I, I think everybody, if you ask them, says would say, this seems like a no-brainer on the surface, right? You've got the Andretti name and the Andretti racing organization behind it, and then you've got Cadillac's name, and now their commitment to be a power unit supplier. So it just seems like a no-brainer, but the 
the the sticking point is, of course, the money, right? Is the other 10 teams saying, we don't want to divide this pie up. So, you know, what, what would you do, Jonathan? Or you, you know, would you say to them, you know, let's say, because right now the number is $200 million, if I'm not mistaken. Would you say to Andretti, okay, if you want to come in now, we'll let you in, but you're going to have to pay a bigger fee. Could they even do that with the Concord Agreement? Or do we have to, because if they wait to 2026, then the con- there's going to be a new Concord Agreement, and clearly the number will not be $200 million. Who knows what it'll be, five, six, hundred million, or if not more? Well, I think those numbers have already gone up for Andretti's entry to be viable to the teams. And so the figure of 600 million was already being banded around. But I think Michael's being a smart businessman as he is, because 25 would make him, you know, Ocean's 11, i.e. he'd be part of the gang uh, going into 26 for the new Concord agreement. Um, But if he doesn't get in by then, um, the new Concord agreement could give the opportunity for him to join them under new circumstances of dilution of whatever they decide, because it's kind of like you kind of wipe the slate clean with a new Concord agreement and all the teams agree. So if you're going to have a new team, that's the obvious time. But Michael's trying to get in earlier um, so that he's part of the gang. Yeah. And I saw your buddy Keith Collentine, who runs racefans.net. Uh, he put up a really interesting poll, and his poll said, he said, the question was, um, should Andretti be allowed to join the Formula One grid? A simple question, right? And 97% of the people polled said either slightly or strongly agreed that the team should be granted a place on the grid. I mean, that I have not seen, That's I just chose that because it's, you know, we've been saying all along, it feels like it, and everybody that calls into the show or, or on YouTube or whatever has said, yes, clearly we want Andretti, but 97%. Does that surprise you? I mean, because that's global, because they're not based in the United States. They're based in the UK. Does that surprise um, you? No, but it just shows that the fans know their history. They know uh, the achievements that Andretti has taken. And if I were to be flippant, I would say, what if, what if 20 years ago Google were offered this thing called an iPhone <laughs> and they were wondering whether they should buy into it or not because it seemed a bit kind of like superistic and futuristic and you know what what kind of what kind of profits could they make out of that do you think you know and <laughs> yeah. and I think that's how stupid this all is is of course Andretti are going to succeed they're already successful they've got one of the biggest motor racing teams I mean there's no bigger ro- motor racing team in America than Penske and Andretti um obviously chip ganassi but that's still a smaller operation compared to uh, andretti and penske so it's almost kind of not stupid but it's not it, it doesn't make any and then add gm to the and cadillac to the pack to you know to that yeah you know situation and then it's really a no-brainer in my point well i i just think it's time i think we've talked about this long enough everybody knows the obvious things right so let's figure out what the next step is. And I don't know what this means. And, of course, uh, we'll talk to Chris Medlin and, and uh, sooner than later, if not for sure by the start of the F1 season. But I, I, uh, I want to talk about a couple of other ones that I saw in this poll, Jonathan, because they were pretty good. There was one that, that uh, talked about Logan Sargent. And the answer was, um, you know, who should and shouldn't should and should not keep their seats. And... Um, you know, the, the, the poll came out and Lance Stroll 
was the first. He was the readers. Twenty eight percent felt he should have been replaced, and Logan Sargent was second after that. I and mean, that's obvious, you know, considering where he finished in the points. But I just thought it was funny. But if you guys don't go to racefans.net, go check it out because it's pretty cool. And I think that polls on their uh, on their homepage. So. All right, well, let's get our last break in, Jonathan. And when we come back, we have some more Formula One and lots more to talk about. Back after a quick break. All right, Grinny, we're still live on YouTube. Let me check out the comments there. David Lawrence says, I think they upped it to $600 million. I don't think there's anything official that I've seen yet. No, um, but he's right. That, that, that was the figure that was bandied around, that that, that, that yeah. two, $200 million went out the window. Yeah, clearly that's not going to be the answer. Uh, let's see. Anybody else? I mean, it was officially 250 to to be to be on the, you know, to, to throw the dice, which Dicker and Hitech and a few other companies did or said they would, but then only Andretti got through. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're talking about Alfa Romeo earlier while we're in a break. Um, I did find out um, that they had – it was estimated they spent – this was Black Fork Motorsports – $140 million sponsorship with stake to do what they did. And that was including last year. So they, the, um, I think the plan all along was to do this. I don't think we got told this, but anyway, $140 million. I'm, I was looking at how much, how many dollars and all right, we're coming back. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to Speed City, your Sunday night with Speed City. Uh, Jonathan, I had to let you know that your Dallas Cowboys uh, are the second seed in the NFC. Pretty cool, huh? How about them, Brilliant. Cowboys? <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I knew we'd beat Washington, but I was worried that uh, that, that New York playing Philadelphia twice might, might hamper us, but nope. Yeah, not a problem there. I had to get you that update because I know you're halfway around the world. All right, so this, the next story I want to talk about in Formula One was um, <laughs> I thought this was an interesting story because they're talking about the the cars and the engines and this story says F1's engine future will be driven by road relevance, which they've always said that about Formula One, right? And I just thought it was interesting, Jonathan, and, and I don't know how much, uh, you know, you don't follow the road cars like I do, but they're saying road relevance, right? So if Paul Bryan is still listening, he's going to immediately agree with me is that we don't really know what this future looks like, because if you'd ask everybody Eight months, a year ago, what's happening with road cars? They're saying the pedal to the metal, pun intended, is going to be all electric, all electric, all electric. But if you look at what's happened to the electric car market, uh, here in the United States for sure, and I guess globally probably as well, I mean, I, I'm not, I wouldn't use the words the bottom fallen out has fallen out, but it is dramatically slowed. My father-in-law was going to buy a, a Mustang Mach-E, and he couldn't buy one because there was none on the lots and they were asking ridiculous amounts. And so he moved on and didn't buy one. Now Ford is actually giving incentives on the Mach-E's and they have months and months of supply. It is a staggering turnaround. And so I don't know how quickly this is going to happen. You know, there's the federal government talking about incentives to move to electric vehicles. And so that is in place. And so that's going to keep the momentum to some degree. 
But the people are not voting with their dollars, number one, because, you know, money was so cheap. You know, you could get car loans for, what, 2%, and that's unincentivized car loans for 2% a year or two ago. And now car loans are 6 7 8 9% loans. And so electric cars have the disadvantage of they still are more expensive. The average new car is like $48,000 or something right now. And the average electric car is like $60,000. So F1's engine future driven by road relevance, what exactly does that mean right now? And I think, and I, you know, I, I've always said this, I thought electric is great if you have the right lifestyle. And until the infrastructure, you know, there's the, the Tesla supercharger infrastructure has been now uh, opened up to other manufacturers, but with the, but, but the range that everybody worries about range anxiety is still a very, very real thing. And so hybrids, hybrids have been, um, have been popular like the Prius on up. Right. So I just don't know how, what they're saying is going to be the difference in F1's future, because I, I, you know, I don't think it's going to be all electrics as soon as, you know, some people are saying, oh, we can, you know, some of these manufacturers claiming they'll be all electric by, by 2030. And I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Number one. And and how this could affect Formula One. But the other thing that could be affected is something that's happening down at the uh, the, the Toyota series down where you are, and that is uh, carbon neutral fuels. Because the carbon fuel, the carbon, the low carbon, I'm not going to say carbon free, but it's a fossil free, a fossil fuel free fuel that they're going to be using in your series. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, first FIA series to do it. Yep. Um, and, you know, t- to answer your question uh, of, of how Formula One um, is going to be, you know, not road driven, but 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 trying relevant. to stay in step. Huh? Relevant. relevant, yeah. Try to stay in step with the future of the road car. And, and that's really important because if you like, um, it is it is the marketing tool that makes Formula One viable in one way it's an exciting sport it's great it's adrenaline junk you know it's adrenaline full all the rest of it but when you look at what formula one as i call it the test tube for the the auto industry the relevance is that what trickles down from formula one and hybrid you just mentioned it was was around 10 years ago in formula one as we all know and now you get your hybrid honda and off you go but all of that um, technology was developed in Formula One and is still part of Formula One. Harvesting, regeneration, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And go further than back, uh, drum brakes versus disc brakes, etc., etc. So all the innovations that are essential to, to make Formula One as unique and technically brilliant as it is, finally end up on your road car. And that's where it's road revel- relevance. So things are different now. One is fuel. Others will be tyre technology. Yes, you mentioned um, uh, the, you know the, the, the different uses of electric, and that will continue. Um, but I think fuel is a big one. Yeah. Uh, fuel is definitely a big one because because you know I think we're going to end up with hydrogen in motor racing, and, I, and it's already starting to happen in in sports cars. And I think that's going to end up in the road cars of the future. And while there will be a role for electric cars, it may be that the service industry is where electric cars are king because a bit like diesel, they'll have their own stations and their own things. Um, but I think motor racing will be the trailblazer and the test ground, the test tube, as I say, 
for the future of the auto industry. And when you look at Audi, GM, uh, Mercedes, you know, McLaren, Ferrari, these are the engines. Yeah. And sorry, these are the, 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 the auto manufacturers driving Formula One. So they have to be road relevant. Yeah. And Kevin Kelly brought up something. He brought up a name Porsche. And he said they state they stated this week that they'll be making six cylinders all the way through 2026. But uh, Kevin, I think you need to take another look at that because they said that the they have announced, by the way, Jonathan, that they are going to be having a a hybrid version of the Porsche 911, the the icon, the flat six. You know that it, the the 911 is defined by a flat six in the back of the car. That is the the 911, and they're talking about adding a. Uh, the hybrid version is going to be an electric motor to the front, exactly like the Corvette did. In fact, it's very similar to the Corvette in the fact that it is um, that it is not a plug-in. There is no way to add electricity to it with an outlet. The only way you're going to be able to add electricity is with the either regenerative braking or uh, with the engine, just like the, the hybrid Corvette, which is the same way. But they also talked about that an elect, an all-electric 911, that has been on their roadmap. They've moved that out. And I think, in fact, maybe as maybe as the mid-2030s. So I don't think we're going to see an all-electric 911 anytime soon. And we are going to see a hybrid. They've already announced it. In fact, it may be, I, I didn't look at it super careful, but it it may be as soon as like um, 2026 or seven that they're going to release the hybrid. So it's coming very quickly. And in my opinion, that is a, a fantastic way to make a performance car is have the, the internal combustion engine and the range you get with that, of course. But you get the sound and the soul that we love, but you add the instant torque and all of those things like uh, that, oh, that electric adds to it. So it is a, it's a fantastic combination. And I mean, look, we've already seen that with the LaFerrari and the Porsche 918 and all those. But I just thought this was a fascinating discussion. I was like, where, where does Formula One go? And, and it's, it's not, it's not clear right now, right? It, it's been, it's murkier than it ever has been probably in its history. And that's where, that's why they use that term road relevant, because wherever the auto industry wants to go, uh, their development, their, you know, research and development departments mean that Formula One will have to go that way because otherwise they're, they're just spending money twice to develop road cars and to develop racing cars. So it will be in tune. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. A um, couple people on YouTube says, uh, yeah, many European countries are backing down. Uh, it's really, it's going to be very fascinating to see how this plays out because you know the the biggest thing that's happened in the market is that the the cheap money has has dried up and of course the economy has softened too so people are having to watch their dollars a little bit and it's like okay before you could get a you know a cheap loan and get you know get you a Tesla Model 3 or whatever but it's a very different world well we are almost out of time but Jonathan I want to tell everybody what's going on this year we are are going to be doing the same as we have done last year we uh, we're going to have Chris Medlin back we'll have Bob Varsha back and Dave O'Neill when he can so we're going to be doing all the same thing that we did last year. And we're working on a really fun project, if we can get it pulled off, and we'll keep you guys in the loop on that. I had a conversation with the F1 this past week and with Coda, so we'll try to keep you guys in the loop on that. But otherwise, until then, we are going to be doing your Sunday night with Speed City. And 
Uh, I'm going to try to get Bob Varsha to join in when Jonathan's too busy down there doing the Toyota series. So, uh, but uh, we are out of time, but thanks everybody. We appreciate you tuning in and Jonathan, we will, uh, we'll get you back on next week if we can. And we'll thanks everybody. And we'll talk to you next Sunday night.